Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. We're glad that you're here. Uh, I have no idea why so many of you wanted to sit on that side of the room today instead of this. All the people who come in now will have to all come sit over here. Uh, welcome to you who are in the room and to all of you who are with us online. Uh, are you, you going to fix the imbalance a little bit? Thanks, Bill. Um, <laughs> we like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We believe that's true, not just during this uh, Advent season as we're you know, celebrating the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, but all the time we believe that God is present here, uh, that he meets us when we gather together to worship him. So let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. God, we are grateful that you meet us right here right in the midst of all the stuff we've got going on. Some of us, it's a bunch of holiday busyness, and, and for some, that's, it's all good. Times with family, times with friends, uh, fun times, and God, you know that for some of us, it's really, really not. It's the first holiday season without a loved one or without a home or uh, where we're just feeling the absence of things that are really making these, uh, these days and these weeks uh, hit us hard. Uh, God, we are grateful that you meet us right here in the midst of all of it, to give us your grace, your strength, your peace, your love. Uh, help us today to center our hearts and our thoughts on you, to be honest with you about the things that we need so that we can reach out to you for help and you can provide that help. Speak to our hearts, we pray, whether through a song that we sing or a prayer that we pray or scriptures that we read or maybe as we come to your table. Uh, would you meet us here and connect our hearts to yours, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you're, uh, if you're able, interested, let's stand and let's sing as we begin. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Who yielded his life an atonement for sin And opened the life gate that all may go in We praise the Lord, praise the Lord Let the earth hear his voice Praise the Lord, praise the Lord Let the people rejoice Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son And give him the glory, great thing he hath done. O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. And great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and wider and greater will be 
song uh, called Hosanna that I usually do on Palm Sunday because uh, 
you know, the story of the Gospels is when Jesus comes into Jerusalem there, the people throw down their palm branches and they cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Um, Hosanna is just a Hebrew word that means save us. And uh, what they are is that they're, they're quoting from uh, the Psalms, specifically Psalm 118, and I'd like to read that to you here. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the, fe the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Heal my heart and make it clear. 
eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into eternity. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Amen. From Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all of her sins. Listen. It is the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Pray with me, would you? Father, we are so thankful this morning Thankful that we can gather here together and sing to you, Hosanna. On this first Sunday of Advent, as we're reminded so poignantly, Lord, so, so sweetly of the coming of your birth, that you came to comfort your people. Lord, we thank you that you had a purpose in mind in doing this. It wasn't by random that, God, you sent your son to us. It wasn't just for fun. There was a purpose behind it. There was a plan behind it. And that was so that we could find redemption through his death and resurrection. Those are things we think about when we start thinking about the baby Jesus born in a manger. And yet, Lord, that was the plan all along. What a mighty and awesome, overwhelming thing that is to think about this morning. And we can never express our, our thanks, our gratitude to you for, for knowing ahead of time what it was going to take for us to be redeemed. <laughs> but out of your great love, Lord, you made a way. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. Though it may be a little dreary and drizzly, Lord, we have a hope and a joy in you that that goes beyond what's going on in our lives, what's going on outside with the weather, what's going on in our families, in our, in our circumstances, Lord. I thank you for that joy, for that hope today. I 
I thank you that no matter what has happened this week, and as Pastor Rich mentioned before, Lord, some of us have had some pretty hard things happen this week, and yet you have been there. You have rescued. Literally, you have rescued. And we thank you, Father. From the depths of all that we are, we thank you. We give you all the honor and the praise this morning, Lord, for each person here in this building, each person who joins us online, each person who will be here later, Lord. We give you all the glory the honor, the praise, because you, Lord, are worthy, and only you. And we pray these things in your precious holy name. Amen and amen. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves. All right, just a real quick word to those of you who are watching online. Hello. Sorry we weren't able to shake your hand just now, but uh, we would love to know that you're with us. So drop us, a, drop us a comment there on Facebook or YouTube or wherever you're watching. And uh, if there's some way we can be praying for you or thanking God with you, or if you have a question, you can go to livinghope.info slash connect. Um, yeah, the link's there on the screen. And, and uh, you can let us know how we can be praying for you, thanking God with you, any of that sort of thing. And uh, the same goes for all of us here in the room. If there's some way we can be praying for you or thanking God with you, or if you have a question, uh, you can go to livinghope.info slash connect, fill out a little digital connect card, or you're here in the room. So there's some little green cards right back there on a little table, and you can just grab one of those and jot your question on it or whatever, and drop it in the offering box. And if you're giving today, you can drop that in there as well, uh, or you can give online. That works too. Uh, I don't remember what order we've got things in as far as those little announcement slides. I think thinking about giving had me thinking about the, uh, uh, oh, is that the first one? Okay, great. Um, We've got uh, this Thursday night, we've got a Q&A session, an introduction for the Warming Center uh, that we're going to be hosting here in January and February. We did it this last winter, and we learned a lot. Uh, we, learned a, we learned some things that we need to change and some things we're going to do a little differently. Um, we had hoped that we wouldn't have to do it again this winter, but that uh, new shelter with the Warming Center attached isn't built yet, but they are pushing hard to have it built by next winter. So... If you want to be a part of it, or if you just have questions, we'd love to have you join us Thursday night right here at 6.30. It's going to be brief, maybe less than an hour, and uh, hopefully answer all your questions and, uh, and that good stuff. What do we have up there next? Anything else? There? Oh, yeah, Christmas Eve's coming. Uh, <laughs> so at, uh, we've got a one combined service on Christmas Eve at 10 o'clock, and then uh, we'll have our evening service at, at 5 uh, for our, our candlelight uh, Christmas Eve service. Uh, and that's something you can give toward as well uh, if you like to make Christmas cookies. I know some of you love making Christmas cookies. I've already had a couple of you say, ooh, I'll be making some. And so uh, at the end of our Christmas Eve service, we always give people boxes of cookies to take with them to people who need you know, a little Christmas cheer or whatever. And so if you want to make some, you can bring them anytime that week before or you can bring them that morning to the Christmas Eve service at 10 o'clock. And uh, we'll have a handful of volunteers. And if you want to be one of those volunteers, let me know. Uh, that afternoon, we'll take... 20 or 30 minutes just to put them all in boxes, mix them up real nice so that people get a nice variety, and, uh, and then we'll be, have them ready for, for our evening service. Um, did I have anything else up there on the screen? I don't remember what we've got in there. Oh, yeah, good. I wanted to remind you of the Habitat Fund you can still give to help build this house in South Haven. Um, some of you joined us uh, for the workday. If you want to volunteer, you still can. And, uh, and um, 
Yeah, so we'd love to have you participate in that. Any size gift is helpful because it'll get matched like a couple different times, by first by someone in the church and then by, I think it's the Von Tobel Foundation. And uh, so your $5 will turn into $20 toward building that house. And I would love for all of us to be able to say, hey, I helped build that house uh, back in the you know, Christmas 2023 when we were building that house with, uh, with Habitat. So uh, Linda's back here waving a book at me. Uh, some of you uh, don't know, we've got an author in the house. Uh, Linda Hetman has written a couple of different children's books. Um, I'm trying to remember the titles. Um, Miracle for Mr. Mouse, is that that one? And then The Grizzly Bear in My Underwear. So, uh, so if you want to talk to her about buying one of her books, she'd be happy to, uh, to say one of her kids' books as a, as a Christmas gift this year. Um, and I don't think I had anything else up on the screen, did I? But there's one other on the back of your handout that mentions that warm a home tree out in the lobby uh, that if you want to uh, uh, make a gift to help keep someone's home warm this winter, uh, this is in partnership with First Contact. Uh, when we have people from outside our church family who reach out call us saying, hey, I need some help, uh, what we typically do is we direct them to First Contact because they funnel resources from lots of different churches so that people don't have to go and drive to this church and that church and the other church. They'll help them make sure they've connected with the trustee and the resources available there. And um, so what we do each winter as we're headed toward Christmas, uh, as the need increases for people who need to help, help keeping their utilities on, that sort of thing, um, we invite you to give. And so you can just take one of those little tags off the tree out there, and it's, it's just got an envelope on the back for first contact. And you can make a gift. Uh, if you're making out a check, just make it out to first contact. You can stick a stamp on it and mail it, or you can stick it in the offering box back here, and we'll give it to them uh, before Christmas. And, uh, yeah, if you want to help keep someone's home warm this Christmas, that's, that's the way you can do it. Uh, if you're giving online, just uh, hit the little drop-down and hit the Good Neighbor Fund. Uh, that's what we call that. You can, and you can give to that all year round if you'd like. Any money that comes into the Good Neighbor Fund goes right to first contact to help our neighbors who are not a part of our church family. Now, if, if you want to help specifically people in our church family, there's a different fund for that. It's called the Acts 4 Fund. You can read Acts 4 for why we called it that. Uh, but that's where someone here in the church says, eh, I can't quite pay my rent this month. I need a little help or whatever it might be. Uh, I look to see if there's money in the Acts 4 Fund. And if there is, we help them. If there's not, I say, oh, I'm sorry. Or we try to come up with a way to, to help them. So uh, those are two ways you can help your church family or your neighbors uh, this year. There's lots of good ways uh, to help. Some of you maybe were inundated with things as uh, Giving Tuesday took place after Thanksgiving and, and all these different nonprofits had their end-of-year appeals. I don't know about you, our, our mailbox gets a, a little filled up with them. It's, it's kind of like uh, before an election season, you get lots of mailers you know, from politicians wanting you to vote for them. End of the year, you get a lot of letters from nonprofits saying, hey, please give to us. Uh, <clears throat> we don't do that uh, here. We haven't anyway. Um, but there still is need here, just so you know. So if you're thinking about end of year, uh, hey, I want to support this nonprofit or that one, uh, we'd love for you to think of your, your local church as well. And if you've got a little extra, if you had a bonus this year or something like that that came through and you want to help uh, meet some of the budget needs here, um, we'd be happy to, <laughs> to receive that gift and put it to good use. So uh, to keep the lights on and to make sure we can do all the ministry God's calling us to uh, here and around the world. All right, some of you are like, great, quit talking about announcements. You said this month is Revelation, and uh, we can't wait. Uh, <clears throat> so that's what we're doing. Uh, we've spent this whole year making our way through the Bible. We started in Genesis back in January, and every month we took a different book of the Bible, which means we couldn't hit all of them, but we had to, we had to pick 12, and, uh, and we're wrapping it up with Revelation. Um, so today, of course, we will reveal to you uh, the, the nature of the Antichrist, the exact date and time of the rapture, and uh, all of those things that you've been wondering about. Uh, of course, that's not going to happen. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, which, strangely enough, uh, neither of those two words even appear in the book of Revelation. Did you know that? 
the Antichrist does not appear in the book of Revelation. Uh, the rapture is not mentioned in the book of Revelation. Um, we have come up with some interesting ideas over the years where we've taken a little bit from this part of the Bible, a little bit from that part of the Bible, and we've kind of pieced some things together that, uh, that aren't necessarily present in the book of Revelation itself. And so what we're going to try to do this month, I, I hope that you'll read it. The book of Revelation is an unusual book. Man, it's, it's weird. All right? Uh, in part because it's kind of a mash of three different types of literature, uh, at least one of which we are very unfamiliar with, and another one we're only kind of familiar with. Um, well, let's just get started. Revelation chapter 1, it starts like this. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Remember, this was written a couple thousand years ago, all right? So when you hear uh, these are things that must soon take place and that the time is near, uh, remember, this has been read in churches uh, for a couple thousand years. So what does, this, what does this mean? How do we approach this book, uh, this revelation? The name comes right from the, the opening word, revelation, or uh, maybe you've heard it called the apocalypse of John, uh, because that's the Greek word, uh, apocalypsos, it just, it's apocalypse, it means an unveiling. It does not mean the end of the world, okay? The word, the word apocalypse, it's come to mean that in English. We say like, oh man, it was apocalyptic, you know, like that storm or something, it was apocalyptic, it was like, it was like world ending or something. That's not what the word apocalypse actually means, it means revelation, an unveiling, a revealing. It's kind of like, uh, um, well, if you ever saw that, that old movie, uh, Wizard of Oz, <laughs> uh, it's an old movie. Um, you know, there's that whole pay no attention to the man behind the curtain moment, you know, it's like the, the great and powerful Oz, and then there's just some little guy behind the curtain, like pulling the levers and all that stuff, right? Uh, it was, it, he was revealed, you know, he was unveiled. There was an apocalyptic moment there where, uh, where they got to see who was really pulling the strings. And that's kind of what's going on with the book of Revelation. This is written... Uh, to some churches that are struggling, struggling hard under Roman rule. And uh, there's some persecution beginning to take place and uh, lives being threatened, livelihoods being threatened. And, uh, and it seems like, to all appearances, what we see in front of the curtain is like, man, Rome is in charge. It is unstoppable. What are we going to do? And Jesus, through his servant John in the book of Revelation, wants to pull back the curtain and show, oh, no, don't worry. It might look like that for now, but the person who's really in charge is, is still God. God is still on the throne. He is still in charge. He is still uh, charting the course of history, and he will bring it to a, a good conclusion. Um, so, yeah, that, you've got in your notes just, uh, you know, what kind of, <laughs> what kind of book is this? Uh, it's a revelation. You know, it's an apocalypse. It's an unveiling, and that apocalyptic literature comes with all kinds of details that we're going to watch a short, like, five-minute video about in just a second. Uh, it's also, it's called prophecy, right? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So I get to be blessed this morning because I get to read it. And, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what's written in it. That's you guys. So we all get to be blessed today um, by this word of, the words of this prophecy. Uh, which prophecy in the Bible, uh, yes, it contains some elements of looking forward. Often when we hear prophecy, we think, oh, that person like can see the future, right? Uh, we think Nostradamus and stuff like that, predictions about what will take place hundreds and thousands of years from now. But in the Bible, prophecy is someone speaking to people about what God is doing 
right then and right there. And yes, it includes what God's going to do, as God's going to bring about good out of whatever difficult situation. But it's primarily speaking for God to help people understand how God is at work in their lives. And it's a letter, which we'll see in just a second. Okay, I promised a little video. Uh, this is not specifically a book about, or a video about Revelation. It's about the genre of literature, of apocalyptic literature, which there appears more than once in the Bible. This is from our good folks at the, the Bible. Parts of the Bible called apocalyptic. And while most people think the biblical word apocalypse means the end of the world, it actually doesn't mean that at all. So let's talk about how to read apocalyptic literature in the Bible. So wait, the apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world? No, apocalypse is a Greek word that means to uncover or reveal. An apocalypse is when you suddenly see the true nature of something that you couldn't see before. Because I don't always see things the way they really are. Right, we all develop familiar ways of seeing the world that can limit or blur our vision. So an apocalypse is like a revelation. Right. Now, in the Bible, an apocalypse is when God pulls back the curtain to show someone what's really going on in the world from a divine perspective. For example, take Isaiah the prophet. He's suddenly transported in a vision into God's throne room. Oh, right, he's in God's temple, described as a bridge between heaven and earth. And there, God gives him a divine perspective on Israel's past, present, and their future so that Isaiah can bring challenge and comfort to God's people in his own day. Or think about the Apostle Paul, who was trying to stop the movement of Jesus, but then he gets stopped in his tracks by a vision of the risen Jesus himself. Yeah, he realizes that he's fighting against the very thing that he's been hoping for, and it changes the course of his life. So these apocalypses give people a heavenly perspective on their earthly situation, and they can give hope, or they can challenge you. Or make you change everything. Now, those are biblical stories about people having an apocalypse. There are also whole sections of biblical books where a prophet describes extended apocalyptic dreams and visions. People call this apocalyptic literature. And reading these dreams and visions is difficult. I mean, they're filled with strange images. Like, let's take Daniel. He sees ferocious beasts coming up out of a dark sea trampling people on the land. And then a character called the Son of Man is exalted to rule the world. What is going on? Yeah, apocalyptic literature is written in a poetic, imaginative style, and it's packed with symbolism. How can I know what these symbols mean? Well, first, by studying the rest of your Bible. Apocalyptic imagery is based on biblical design patterns that begin in the book of Genesis and then develop throughout the Bible like the chaotic sea in the first sentences of the Bible that God tames but doesn't eliminate as he orders creation. And so the sea becomes an image of danger, death, and cosmic chaos. Ah, and the dry land, which comes out of the sea, is the safe, ordered place where humans are supposed to rule as God's image. Yes, and also on the land are beasts that humans are supposed to oversee but keep reading, and the humans are deceived by a beast. And start acting like violent beasts. Exactly. Now, sometimes a prophet will tell you what a symbol means. Like in Daniel, we're told those beasts symbolize violent human kingdoms. But more often, the authors just assume you know how to trace an image through the biblical story to understand its meaning. Now let's look at the last book of the Bible, the Revelation because it's one 
really long vision. The whole thing is an apocalypse. Yeah, and it works the same way. It begins with John the visionary transported to God's throne room where he sees the risen Jesus as the exalted king of the world. But Jesus is depicted as a bloody lamb. Right, it's a design pattern showing how Jesus is the sacrificial lamb from Israel's Passover and from the Day of Atonement. He gave his life for the sins of the world. And then John sees the ultimate beastly dragon, that spiritual power that energizes violent earthly empires. It's cast out by Jesus, the world's true king. Yeah, now that reminds me, when I read the Revelation, I'm struck by all this cosmic destruction and violence. I mean, it happens over and over and over. Yeah, in the Revelation, there are three seven-part cycles of God's judgment, and it's another design pattern that connects together the stories of the flood, the 10 plagues on Egypt, and the exile to Babylon, and even more. These are moments when humans unleash so much violence and death into the world that God hands them over to self-destruction. It's like a reversal of creation in Genesis chapter one, as God allows the world and humans to sink back into darkness and disorder. That's sobering. It is. But remember, in Genesis one, God overcame darkness and chaos with his light and life. And so too in the revelation, the death of Jesus and the death of the world as we know it is the pathway into the renewed creation that began with the resurrection of Jesus. And so while the revelation feels like the end of the world. It's actually about the beginning of the renewed world where heaven and earth are reunited and God's human images rule all creation in the love and power of God. Okay, this is a lot to take in. It is. And there's a lot in these books that is still hard to understand, but the purpose of apocalyptic is really clear to give us a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances so that every generation of God's people can be challenged, comforted, and given hope for the future. Yeah. Challenged, comforted, and given hope for the future. That's, that's what Revelation is trying to do. Um, I know we tend to look at it and say like, okay, well, I'll have, I'll have a lot more comfort and have some more hope if I, if I can kind of map it all out. I mean, I grew up in a time when that's what happened in church, right? A pastor would stand up here with a really big thing that maps out the whole end times, you know, timeline of here's when the rapture is going to happen and here's when the beast is going to be revealed or the antichrist and here's, you know, all these different things until finally there's the, the final judgment and uh, the good people go to heaven and the bad people go to hell and, and we live on forever with, with Jesus. And, uh, and it, was, it was kind of comforting to have a sense like, okay, in the midst of all the chaos, I, I have a sense that maybe I, I might not be able to control it, but at least I understand it. And so it was, it was kind of comforting in that way. If it didn't like freak you out and make you want to, you know, get on your knees and pray to Jesus to please save you from the whole thing, right? Um, <clears throat> but that's not necessarily what we see in the book of Revelation, um, now, I know there are lots of different ways to read this book, and I think they acknowledge that. It's definitely, there's a lot there. I encourage you, if you're going to read it this month, uh, maybe you've got one of those study Bibles. It's got lots of helpful notes. Fantastic. Read those notes along with it. Uh, they'll help you understand, like, oh, that symbol is, that's, that symbolism being drawn from Daniel, chapter 7. Or, oh, that's being drawn from uh, Ezekiel. Or that's being drawn from this other part of the Bible. Or, oh, hey, that's referring to something that went on in the, in the Roman uh, Empire at that time. That's how they talked about their, their emperors in that kind of language. And now it's being ascribed to, to Jesus. Um, the, the book of Revelation, by some people's case, it, it quotes very few verses from the Old Testament. But it grabs images 
from the Old Testament like crazy. Um, somewhere between 300 and 1,000 different allusions to the Old Testament uh, scriptures, where almost every page was like numerous things like, oh, he's getting that, he got that image from there, and he got that image from there, and got that image from there, uh, that we don't necessarily see, right? Uh, unless you've really like soaked in the Old Testament uh, quite a bit more than any of us have, I think, right? We're just not going to see all of those connections. And that's where some scholars who, like, their job is to sit there and soak in those scriptures uh, can be really helful. Two books that I've found helpful that uh, I think they've got them both at our public library. Uh, one's by a professor named Michael Gorman. It's called Reading Revelation Responsibly, Uncivil Worship and Witness, Following the Lamb into the New Creation. Um, and the other one's by uh, Scott McKnight and Cody Matchett, Revelation for the Rest of Us, a Prophetic Call to Follow Jesus as a Dissonant Disciple. I'll have these sitting up here. In fact, I'm just going to go... Set them right over here, right now. And afterwards, please don't steal them, but if you want to uh, take a look and, uh, and jot down their titles or something like that, uh, you can. Uh, so you can go check them out from the library or get the audiobook. I think I've got the audiobook of both of those right now on my phone uh, for free from the library. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, and those can be really helpful just for making sense of some of that because there is a lot of symbolism. Um, apocalyptic literature uh, does that. That's part of how it communicates. In fact, one of the words that we read earlier uh, in those opening verses where it says, he made it known by sending his angel, that phrase, he made it known, is, uh, is used in other parts of scripture specifically to say, made it known by symbols, by using pictures to try to help people understand. Uh, it invites us to imagine uh, a different kind of future and to, and to see maybe there is something going on that I can't see, something behind the scenes. Uh, Another feature of apocalyptic literature is, is dualism. There's like, there's two teams. You gotta pick your team. You gotta be on this team or that one, right? And, uh, and we'll see that throughout the book. You're gonna take the, you're gonna be sealed by God as one of his own or you're gonna get marked by the beast as one of his, right? Um, but the, the purpose of the whole thing is encouragement uh, to those who are suffering, to those who are going through great difficulty or great tribulation is another word for suffering. Um, and that's, I know there are folks that read this in a way and say, oh, right here in the story, we quit hearing the word church being used, and so that must be where the rapture happens, and the rest of this happens while the church is gone. I'm not sure that's the most helpful way to read the book. Um, that's one of those authors does a great job of saying, uh, some of us read Revelation with a, very much a future focus, like looking to what it tells us about the future, and there's definitely stuff in here that talks about the future and what God will do. Some of us look at it, uh, looking at the past, like, oh, here are things God has done already and the way God has been at work um, back at the time that this was written. Um, some people focus on the present and what is the meaning for us today. And, uh, and either of those approaches, whether you lean toward the future or lean toward the past, ways of looking at it, either of those uh, can connect with the present. And so I'm not standing up here to tell you, like, the way you read Revelation is wrong, all right? Uh, but I'm hoping that each Sunday this month can help us see some of the ways that what Jesus revealed to John to share with these churches, uh, how that helps us today to see our world a little bit differently and to be ready for whatever comes our way, all right? Uh, so again... In just a few weeks, I'm not going to be able to touch every verse. I'm not going to be able to answer every question. But I sure would love to have conversations with you. If you do have questions or you have serious disagreements or anything like that, feel free to reach out. I've already had a couple of you say to me, hey, I'm looking forward to this. Pretty sure we're going to disagree, but I'm still looking forward to it. <laughs> like, well, I'm looking forward to it too. All right. Um, so it continues. It becomes very clear that this is a letter because it takes the form of a letter from verse 4 on. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. That's how they did letters back then. You signed it first, and then you said who you're writing to. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come 
and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's saying this is basically God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. It's like grace and peace to you from, from God. Um, Jesus is described here as the, the faithful witness. Makes me kind of glad that Scott had us sing uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness this morning. Um, because that's who Jesus is. And it's that word witness, uh, the Greek word, uh, sound, looks a lot like our English word martyr. Those, we get, that's where we get the word martyr from. Someone who dies for their faith, dies for a cause, a martyr is a, is a witness. Um, that's, what, that's what's being translated there. That Jesus was a faithful witness because he was faithful even to death. He did not abandon faith in God. Uh, he did not abandon God's plan for his life, even though it meant giving his life. But then he is the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Boy, imagine for just a second that you're in a situation uh, like that of the folks in these churches. There, there are seven churches that get named uh, in the early chapters here. We'll see that in just a second. Um, they're all in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And at that time, uh, some of these people are in cities of like 100,000, 200,000 people, and their church might not have been any bigger than ours. It might have been a group this size that, uh, that John is writing to who's receiving this. So can you imagine for a second that like this is the only church in town? And imagine that we're not in a city the size of Valparaiso, but in a, you know, a city like you know, five or ten times its size, and we're the only Christians. Um, and everyone around us is worshiping all kinds of other gods. And we don't get to vote for who our mayor is going to be or our city council or our president or any of those kinds of things. Uh, that's all decided for us by far-off Rome, who has at some point in the past conquered our land and out of gratitude to them for conquering us. <laughs> we have built temples honoring their gods, honoring the emperor as divine. Uh, that was something that went on in this day. Uh, the emperors more and more uh, through this period were taking on divine titles and divine uh, worship was being done to them. Uh, some of these cities that get mentioned, these seven cities where these churches are, uh, were kind of competing with each other to see who can outdo themselves, uh, outdo each other for being the one that gives the most honor to Caesar off in Rome. And here we are as Christians saying, we can't worship the emperor. He's not the, the divine son of God, the bringer of peace. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the prince of peace. And John is writing to these, these churches saying, yes, grace and peace to you from the one who, who is, who was, and who is to come, the, the eternal God, from the seven spirits before his throne, which is a weird way to talk about the Holy Spirit, but, um, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. That was kind of a way that Caesar talked about himself. There's a reason they chose emperor as their title, not king, because the emperor oversaw any other little kings and, and the little kingdoms that they conquered. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then he just has a little moment of worship to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And then he, some of the few places where he actually quotes from the Old Testament, uh, although he doesn't, I guess he doesn't name it. Uh, he quotes from Daniel and from Zechariah saying, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. And any of you who participated in Greek life or anything might know Alpha is the first letter of the alphabet, Greek alphabet. Omega is the last one. So he's like he's saying, I'm the A and the Z, right? Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then he continues his letter. I, John, 
your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. We think he might have been exiled there because he had been telling people about Jesus and Rome was getting sick of him. He was getting a little too influential and they said, you go stay on this island. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see. Sorry, I hope that wasn't too much. Write on a scroll what you see. It was overwhelming, you know, as I'm trying to get across. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man and he's drawing imagery again from from Daniel chapter 7 dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest the hair on his head was white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword is a weird image and I can't help but think we were just in the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 do you remember that the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates deep his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead then he placed his right hand on me and said do not be afraid this is a, a message that is one of the I think one of the core messages of Revelation, and we'll hear it echoed in some of the letters to the churches. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So we know now who this is. This is Jesus, who had died and risen again, standing before John in this vision. And just like God was described as the the Alpha and Omega, the A, the A and the Z, Jesus is the first and the last. Um, he has described this language that describes him from Daniel 7. Some of it is imagery describing this son of man, this human one in Daniel 7 who will come and who will rule with an iron scepter, this Messiah figure that they're expecting. Some of it is language that was used to describe the Almighty One, God. And so John is using both of those to say Jesus is, yes, he's human, but he is divine as well. And here he is speaking to John. When I saw him, I fell at his feet. Oh, sorry. We read that part. Okay, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Like, I've conquered sin and death in the grave. i got the keys now. I can let anybody out that I want to. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. He explains some symbols. That's helpful. All right. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we have an example right here. Early on in the first chapter, like sometimes these symbols just stand for something else, right? I know sometimes we've, uh, in later parts of the book, as it gets into some of the destruction, those cycles of seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls, and there's all these crazy fantastical creatures, and we're like, you know, there's been a, a tendency to, I, I know I heard growing up like, oh, those, those creatures are like, he was seeing Apache helicopters, and he was trying to describe them and had no sense of what that might be, and so he described this horrendous creature, you know, that spits fire and all this, or, or these were B-2 bombers, you know, that were, were coming at us or whatever. We've, all kinds of different theories about, like, was he seeing something in the future and, and trying to describe it? But in this case, at least, at least some of the symbols are just, there's just symbols. They just stand for something. These stars stand for angels or messengers to the churches. The lamp stands are the churches. And what was it again? There's seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was this someone like a son of man, this Jesus. This is 
what I want us to remember today, the message of this first part of Revelation, these first three chapters where Jesus is revealed to John and he, and he has these letters to the churches, which we're not going to go through all seven, obviously, um, is that Jesus is here. Um, the New International Version that we tend to use here at the beginning said the revelation from Jesus Christ. Many other translations say the revelation of Jesus Christ, um, which you could go either way, translation-wise, and I kind of like the of one better because that's who is revealed here is Jesus. It's Jesus being revealed, and it's coming from Jesus to help us to know who he is, that Jesus was not just a, a wonderful teacher who died somewhere a couple thousand years ago at the hands of Rome, and uh, people say he's alive again, and well, maybe, you know. Oh, he is the living one who has conquered death and hell and is present today in the midst of the churches. Churches that are struggling can know that Jesus is right here with them. Now, we're in this Advent season leading to Christmas when we usually we're reading scriptures about, you know, Jesus coming, uh, his first coming, you know, as Emmanuel, God with us. Well, he is with us here and now. We, we emphasize that most Sundays at the beginning of the service with that little, the Lord be with you and also with you. And we're thankful that God is present and meets us here. And that's what I want you to know today is that Jesus really is here with us. Thankfully, we're not the only church. You know, he's present with us here and with all the Christians around Valparaiso who are worshiping today, around the world who are worshiping today. Some who are in settings much more like these churches in kind of hostile environments where they need to know that, you know, the, whoever's in charge militarily or whoever's in charge of their economy or whoever's pushing them around right now is not ultimately in charge, but, but God is. Next week, we'll get to chapters 4 and 5. There's this amazing vision of, of God on the throne and, and Jesus as, the, as the, the Lamb of God that they were pointing to in the video. And then we'll get to all the really crazy vision stuff, all right? But your homework this week is to just read the first three chapters, okay? So if you haven't yet... Read the first three chapters of Revelation uh, because you'll get to these seven letters to seven churches. I'm just going to look at two of them real fast before we celebrate communion and go. To, to each church, that, that these the very brief little letters, uh, little messages, and they follow a certain format. Um, they all match. And almost every church, Jesus says, look, I see the good that you're doing, but you got this problem. Here's your challenge. Here's the promise. If you'll hold on, you'll make it. And there are a couple of them, like this first one, there's no critique in this one. Uh, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. There's nothing negative to say. He says, look, I know your, your poverty. I know your struggle. I know your suffering. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And the message that he gives them isn't, hey, don't worry. You're going to get taken out of here before there's any real trouble. That's nice as that would be, that's not the message that he gives them. He says, if you can hang on even to the point of death, I'll give you life as your victor's crown. That's, that's what victory looks like, is faithfulness even to the point of death. Uh, there's another church in chapter 3 uh, that is kind of famous. Uh, you might have heard some of this description uh, at some point. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? This is a church that doesn't get anything positive, says so just just critique. 
These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's interesting uh, juxtaposition between these two. The first one, like, oh, you know, physically we're poor, but he's saying, oh, but you're rich. You're rich in faith. You're rich in strength. You're, you're being faithful. These are folks who are like, hey, I got everything I need. And he's saying, ah, but spiritually you're just, you're poor, wretched. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those I love, I rebuke and discipline. <laughs> I think he's trying to say, like, look, I love you. That's why I'm having to be harsh with you, because you need the correction. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You've probably heard that verse before, many of you. I know when I was a kid, it was a little, it did get put on cards all the time. Some, some painter had painted a picture of Jesus with like a nice little glow around him, you know, knocking at a little wooden door. And, and that verse, and reminding all of us that, look, Jesus wants, he's knocking at all of our doors. You know, use that, made it personal. Said all of us need to repent. All of us need to become aware of our own need of God's grace. And, and if we will just open the door to him, he's ready to come, to have fellowship with us. And again, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. And how was Jesus victorious again? He died and he rose again. So he's saying, look, if you die and rise again, if you're faithful to death, you'll get to to share in my victory and sit with me on my throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I hope that we might have ears to hear what what God wants to say to, to us to our church, to us as individuals, especially if you find yourself, my guess is if you read those seven little messages to those seven churches, you'll come across at least one, if not more, that you'll say, you'll find yourself saying, ooh, that kind of sounds like me, or ooh, that kind of sounds like our church, or ooh, that kind of sounds like the church in America these days, or you'll find yourself seeing connections. And my prayer is that we will hear what the Spirit says to us and that we'll do like, like the book of Hebrews said that we were in last month. If we hear his voice, we won't harden our hearts, but we'll say yes. None of us need to be afraid, whatever the future might hold. None of us need to be afraid because Jesus is here with us. Jesus is on the throne, and Jesus is going to bring it, as we'll see in the coming weeks, he's going to bring it all to a, a beautiful, glorious uh, conclusion. Uh, it is worth it to trust and follow him. Let's bow our heads and pray before we celebrate communion together. God, we are so grateful for your presence with us, especially in the midst of suffering and difficulty uh, when there are, like this church in Smyrna, where there are people around us slandering us, saying things about us that just aren't true. and, and, And God, it's a struggle. And you remind us that you are with us, that you can see us through. You remind us that even when we find ourselves uh, impoverished, God, that you, you have more for us. You have riches for us to, to sustain us, to, to see us through. God, please, would you encourage the hearts of those who are finding themselves downtrodden today, finding themselves uh, pushed down or pushed out, 
are finding themselves at the end of their resources, the end of their strength, the end of their hope. God, I pray that you would fill them with renewed hope because you are present here with us. You see us and what we go through and you care enough about us to come to us to make sure that we know that you are still on the throne, that you've not lost track of us, that you are still with us to give us your grace, your strength, your wisdom, your peace. God, for some of us, we, uh, we need to hear the challenge that you place before us in the book of Revelation. We've got a lot in us that, that looks like well, Babylon that we'll get to later, but there's a lot going on in us that, that really shouldn't be there. We have lost uh, our first love for you. We have allowed other things to crowd you out. We have uh, put up with things we never should have put up with in our own lives. And, and God, we need you to forgive us. We thank you that you come to us, that you, that you do challenge us, that you do call us to repent before it's too late. God, if today your Holy Spirit is, is knocking on our door, if today you are tugging at our hearts, if today you are pointing out things in our lives that need to change, areas of our lives that we need to submit to your lordship, your leadership, God, help us to have courage to say yes put our confidence in you, not in ourselves, not in any other power. God, help us to have confidence in you. We are so grateful, God, for the mercy and grace and love that you show us in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Um, would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Um, you know what? I want to... Usually I pray uh, over communion, and I fail to do that. So would you bow your heads with me once more? God, we thank you for the sacrament of Holy Communion that we get to uh, participate in today. We offer to you these gifts of bread and juice and pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior, the one who is dead and is alive again and holds the keys to death and to grave, and that we might meet him here in his body and in his blood. We offer you ourselves, admitting our need of your grace, our need of your forgiveness, our need of your strength, our need of hope. God, we come to you in need and pray that by your Spirit's presence here, your, your Spirit's presence, your, your continued work in our hearts and minds and lives, that, that we might be changed, that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet, as people committed to following uh, the victorious Lamb that we read about in Revelation. Thank you, God. Thank you for meeting us here and giving us grace at the table of our Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. So as, uh, as Scott leads us in one last song, I'll be here with this basket of bread and a cup of juice. As we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and return to your seats. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. Uh, we are all welcome at his table. All of us who are saying, God, I need you. Uh, he is happy to meet us here. So let's celebrate. Let's give him thanks.
God, for inviting us to give ourselves to you. I mean, what, what else could we do um, in response to you giving all of yourself to us? Thank you, God. Thank you. Again, I pray that you would fill us with the spirit of our Lord Jesus, that we might leave this place, go into this world as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet your sons and daughters, as people who carry your grace and your love and your goodness and your hope to people who need your hope. Thank you, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.